Why is there pain and suffering in the world? Why is there pain and suffering in the world? We're in a rooted series, and over 80 of you have ordered books that go day by day. Tomorrow we'll start week five, day one, and it's all about discipleship, all about being rooted and grounded in love and in faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm kind of the supplemental version. Hopefully you're in a life group or discussing this with other people around you, but but Rooted has been a good study. We've gotten a lot of positive feedback, and if you're joining us online, you can go to the Rooted Net- Network and, and, and get that book. It's going to be kind of, it's kind of pricey. The reason why we ordered so many books together just kind of reduced the shipping, but but it's worth it. It's worth it. But why is there suffering and pain in this world? John Stott said it this way, the fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the greatest or the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith and has been in every generation. It's Distribution and degree appear to be entirely random and therefore unfair. Sensitive spirits ask if it can possibly be reconciled with God's justice and love. That's an age-old question that philosophers and folks that are involved in religion and theism and Christians have wrestled with all through the ages. Nietzsche in the 1880s, in 1883, 200,000 people were wiped out in a tsunami around the Indian Ocean in Indonesia. And he responded with no feeling, no emotion, Because in his worldview as an atheist, as an agnostic, human life has no value. There's no right or wrong. There's no justice. So why would we react in the randomness of the universe and in the world? Because if there were no God, why should we be outraged when bad or unjust things happen to people? Now, if you're a believer, you get it, but you probably don't understand it. If you're a non-believer and it's random, then perhaps you understand it, but you don't get it. But if there's something inside of you that cries out because of injustice and innocence being abused and used by evil, then there's something inside of you that cries out that there is a God. There is a term in theology, it's called theodicy. And it's the theological attempt to reconcile the existence of suffering and evil with the belief in a just and all-powerful God. To say it simply, how does an all-powerful, all-good, benevolent God, omnibenevolent, allow for evil and injustice and innocence destroyed and brokenness in the world? So why suffering? And obviously, I'm going to answer all those questions today. And if you laugh or smile, then you understand that I don't have all the answers. It's a mystery that we accept. And we're going to look at some scripture that gives us insight in regard to that. And if you're in your rooted book, I'm not going to handle the whole idea or concept of surrender, which I believe is a really good concept that you need to know and realize. 
But, but why is there suffering? And, and I'm going to give you a few reasons. A few reasons. Number one is a consequence of sin. In Genesis 3, we as believers, as we go to the creation story, you remember Adam and Eve and Adam sinned and ate the apple? Don't, don't you, like, ladies, like the way I phrase that? Blame the guy. But from that moment, they were banished from the garden. Sin and brokenness and pain and suffering have existed. And I don't want to treat this nonchalantly. I, I <clears throat> hate preaching on suffering. I, I, I do not like it. That just means that during that time that I'm preparing for this message, that I am going to have all kinds of illustrations in my own personal life, and I'm not a masochist, I'm not a sadist, I just don't like it. And so this last week, I've engaged with people at a very deep point of brokenness and pain. I knew it was going to happen. It always does. And so as we look at this situation, as we understand a little bit, Don't be surprised if the Lord reveals to you, either in your own life or those surrounding you, some brokenness and pain at a deeper level. So the consequence of sin, but also it could be considered, scripturally, a test of faith. And one of the individuals in the Old Testament that you are probably familiar with is Joseph and the coat of many colors. And how Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. And then he went and was a servant of Potiphar. And then he was in prison and and then enslaved again and brought out of prison to become the second only unto Pharaoh, king of, of Egypt. And he writes it this way. He shares this with his brothers after his father died because... They were concerned that when, when Jacob died, that Joseph would get even, would uh, deal with re- retributive justice, a.k.a. revenge himself, which they deserved, and they knew it. But instead, in Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph says this to them, As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. For Joseph, it was a test of faith. And then there's another character in the Bible that I admire, but I don't like reading the book. It's the book, not of Job, but of Job. And Job, the first chapter, and and I don't like this. I, I mean, I just don't like this. And you say, Chris, you're a preacher and you don't like... Certain passage of scripture, yep, you got it. But there, but I believe they're true. Job one verse six. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Can you imagine the existence? And Job is thought to be one of the oldest books. It preceded, probably was written before Genesis was was written. I don't know if you knew that or not. So the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Can you imagine this gathering? And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, this is one time in scripture where it's, I'm glad it's not my name. And you should be glad it's not your name. 
And maybe sometimes you think God has said, have you considered my servant filling your name in that blank? That there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. That's pretty righteous. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? And so, that's the beginning. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand only against him. Do not stretch out your hand, meaning against Job physically, which he does later in Job. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, this was a test of faith. And if you want to study suffering, Job is a great place to go. It's a long book. But it ends with the sovereignty of God. I am God and you are not. And we need to remember that. But God has a purpose. And it may be a test of faith. Simone Weil, a philosopher, said it this way. She said, The extreme greatness of Christianity lies in the fact that it does not seek a supernatural remedy for suffering, but a supernatural use for it. So we see perhaps a test of faith. Another possibility is the comfort of God, that in our suffering, we will receive the comfort of God. And the psalm writer writes it this way in Psalm 34. He says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Did you know the Lord was near you when you were brokenhearted, when in your pain and in your suffering, he is there. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, and he says it this way. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, not in just some of it, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so, Our comfort that we receive from God, we are to share with others that are afflicted, that are enduring trials and trouble in their life. And then we're reminded in Scripture that there's an ultimate triumph over suffering. And I've used this many times in funeral sermons where in Revelation 21, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There is a hope for the believer in Christ that there will be a time when there is no pain. But Jesus also says, in this life you will have trouble, but don't fear, I have overcome the world. Now, I'm going to dwell on this reason for a little while because I think it's very practical for us. One of the reasons for suffering, I believe, is for spiritual growth, for you to grow spiritually. Paul says it this way, and and it's in different passages and different books all throughout the New Testament. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no peace without Jesus. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Now, that's not my go-to response in suffering. I'll just tell you that. I can get to joy, but it's not easy for me. And it's probably not easy for you. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, there's a ladder of growth in this passage from one rung to another rung to another rung as we grow in Christ. Ajith Fernando, Christian leader in Sri Lanka, says it this way, the church in each culture has its own special challenges. He says this, theological blind spots that hinder Christians from growing to full maturity in Christ. And I think one of the most serious theological blind spots in the Western world, referring to Christianity in the United States, is a defective understanding of suffering. We don't like it, we don't want it, and we think we're being punished by God when we experience it. I, I had a, a roommate later in college, and this has been 40 years ago, and he was, he was a fun guy. And back in the old days, I was a fun guy too. And we just hit it off. We just did crazy stuff. I, I, I've told you before, I was on probation twice in Bible college, almost kicked out. My parents were very sympathetic to that. Mom and Dad, you're watching. You know the stories. But but my friend that uh, came to be my roommate in my senior year had a cool red convertible in Bible college, and it was all of that. He 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 uh, kind of did every major in Bible college. You met the professional student. He was it. I called him Bub, and he called me uh, whatever he wanted to, and we just hang out, hung out together. We'd break rules and wouldn't get caught. That's what you do in Bible college when you go to a, a conservative, strict school. You learn how to break the rules and not get caught. Kind of prepares you for ministry in some way. Anyway, but anyway, so one night, I mean, he worked at this all-night gas station. He, we were studying together. We were in the same class. I think it was our junior or senior year. And we, we traded notes. I slept in the back of my station wagon all night. And, and later, uh, he, that I wasn't there that night, but he got robbed and got beaten and uh, at gunpoint. And, I, you know, the next morning, I, he came back to our room and said, what happened, Buff? You look beat up. He said, well, I just got beaten up and, and uh, thrown on the floor and threatened my life. But, but, but what you don't know was in, in, in our junior year, he was driving that convertible up the hill at uh, Johnson Bible College toward the chapel, and two of the basketball girls jumped on the back of his trunk of his car. He hit a speed bump, and one of those beautiful young girls, uh, missionary kid going to go to Korea, uh, fell off that trunk and hit her head on the back of her head right back here and was immediately dead. We weren't roommates yet, and, and the question of why God and why would you allow someone like that to suffer and to die in a moment when, when the rest of her life would have been used for you, we couldn't get it. And I wasn't his roommate at his time. I was a good friend, 
And I looked at my buddy. We were putting coats and ties on because in chapel uh, for a memorial for her, that's what you did back in those days. And I said, I don't want to go to this because I know I'll end up sitting right next to him. And you know what? Lo and behold, that day, he came and he sat right next to me. And that was a lot of pressure. And so all I could do, he was crying. He felt guilty for what had happened. He didn't even know they were on the back of his trunk. I put my arm around him. We became good, good friends that day. Archbishop Charles Chaput said it this way. He says, suffering can bend and break us, but it can also break us open to become the persons of God persons God intended us to be. It depends on what we do with the pain. If we offer it back to God, he will use it to do great things in and through us because suffering is fertile. It can grow new life. So suffering is a growth point, but what we do with it, we choose. But suffering can also drive us deeper into our relationship with God to question and to seek answers. And sometimes we don't get the answers we want or we get no answer at all. We were talking about Rooted today in our men's group before this service. And, and uh, you know, we don't get a lot of answers to this question. Leon Bloy said it this way, he said, man has places in his heart which do not yet exist and into them enters suffering in order that they may have existence. Suffering drives us deeper. It also causes us to develop resilience. Now, I got to tell you that as I've grown up from student ministry into preaching ministry, there always have been people that I looked up to in our church and in the church family, mentors that I have had, people that I follow. And what I find with them is not that they've avoided suffering, they've experienced suffering, but they have chosen, they have chosen to be resilient and to endure and to maintain faithfulness in spite of no answers, in in spite of loss, in spite of brokenness. They have chosen to be faithful. Now, suffering also fosters empathy and compassion. I was telling you a story about my buddy, Bub. Two years, well, it was less than two years later that there was an accident and uh, a near-death experience on our campus. And what was fascinating to me was, you know who the first person there was? It was my buddy. And he was doing whatever he possibly could. And we all took note of that. Because in his pain and and, and in his guilt that I think he dealt with, because we never talked about it. I was his roommate his senior year. We never talked about it. It was never brought up. It was avoided. But he was there to take care in that emergency. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, if you're familiar with the grief process, or five stages of grief, she, she, she was the original writer of uh, the grief process. She says this, the most beautiful people we have known are those who have known one defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These people These persons have an appreciation and sensitivity and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, 
and deep love and a deep love and concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. Jeff allowed that beauty in his pain to come out, and it changed his life. See, suffering and pain cause us to reevaluate our priorities. I have a friend that some of his family was feuding. None of your family would ever feud or fuss or make things difficult or have drama in them, probably. But in his family, he stops it at the core because of his pain and suffering. He says, you know what? Get over it. Life is too short to let this go on. Get along with each other. Love each other. Forgive each other. Because life is too short. He says that out of the experience because he's had two or three near-death experiences that that it's by the grace of God that he is alive today. It causes us, suffering causes us to deepen our faith in God if we choose to. It causes us to forgive and heal. If you're from the Wabash Valley, if you're from this region, you probably know this lady. I I uh, grew up in North Terre Haute. I graduated from Terre Haute North a long time ago, but I graduated with Alex Kaur. His mother was Eva Kaur. If you're familiar with the Holocaust Museum in Terre Haute, she's the one that did it. She was a twin. Her and her sister Miriam were part of the exper- experiments in Auschwitz that Joseph Mengele performed on them. This lady has taken multiple groups to Eastern Europe, into Germany, back to Auschwitz. At the 50-year commemoration, she got Dr. Hans Munch in 1995, a Nazi, to come and sign a declaration that all of that had actually occurred. Now, if you know anything about Dr. Hans Munch, he was the, quote, good doctor, a Nazi, that that worked in uh, Auschwitz, but also did not participate in the experiments with Mingala, nor did he uh, sort people out for their usefulness and send certain ones to the gas chamber and others to, to work until they died. He refused to do it because it was barbaric. He abhorred it. And so he came to sign 50 years later. She said, well, she questioned herself because she contacted him 10 months in advance and she, she asked this question of herself. But how can one thank a Nazi doctor? And she struggled with that. And, and she struggled with it until she decided that she could forgive. And that was an option. If you ask, well, if they were alive today, there's not very many Holocaust survivors alive today. But at that time, there were a number of them, and they were all angry at Eva for forgiving because they didn't understand forgiveness. Uh, They thought she was saying it was okay. Obviously not. But here's what she said. If I had discovered forgiveness sooner, I would have had that 50 years of my life back. Forgive and see the miracle that can happen. That was before her death. And obviously, we know uh, the rest of the story there. 
you know, suffering can can uh, teach us to seek meaning. I don't know if you're familiar with Viktor Frankl's book, In, In Search of Significance, but he also was a Holocaust survivor. They tried to find meaning in the randomness of the Holocaust. Fascinating reading. Causes us, suffering causes us to connect with others. We join together as uh, the people of God to support and to care and to comfort one another. It also, when we suffer, it helps us to practice gratitude for those good times and good days. To be thankful. It also helps us to transcend your ego. It creates an otherness that we are not our end in ourselves. We, we live in a very self-centered, self-gratifying culture. Just get on social media. The why of suffering leads us to finally redemptive suffering that we see on the cross of Christ. Another Holocaust story, I guess I'm on this theme. John Lennox was a, a had doctorate, a professor at Oxford University, and he was traveling Eastern Europe with a group, and a, a Holocaust survivor, a lady, was with them, and they were in the Holocaust Museum in Israel. And they were standing in front of the, uh, well, at the outswitch part of that Holocaust Museum, where it says, Arbeiten mocked Fry that we've seen so often, if you ever watch anything about that. And right in front of that display was the Joseph Mengele display, which shown the experiments on those twins that Eva Kaur had experienced with her sister Miriam. Eva survived, Miriam died. And the, the Jewish woman asked John Lennox, because she knew he was a Christian, she asked him this. She said, and what does your religion make of this? And John Lennox paused. And he could barely look at how the children suffered in the Holocaust under Mingala. And he said, you know, I can't. I cannot look, nor do I want to give a simple answer to a very difficult question to this woman. And he said to her, I can't imagine what you've experienced, what you've lost, family members, children in the Holocaust, and yet you survive. I, I don't want to take away from that. I can't imagine anything in comparison to that with my children. So how could I understand your pain and your suffering? But he said this, he said, But this I know, that in Christianity, God became man. God was incarnation and became Jesus. And he said, here's the question I have for you. He said, what was God doing on a cross? And he shared that God joined us in our suffering. And the, there was a long pregnant pause because it hit the woman in the heart. And she said, 
Why has no one ever told me of my Messiah? Can you imagine? Why has no one ever told me about my Messiah? You know, folks, I talk about Jesus dying on the cross all the time and his great crazy love for you. And he is present through his spirit in our suffering. We need each other. We need community. There are no easy answers. But I know that I know that I know that even in suffering, he is real. And he wants to live in you that others might know. Will you please stand as I pray? Eternal God and Father, we are so grateful for the work that you do through your spirit, that you're the God of all comfort, and that you bring peace in the storm. Father, we don't understand it. All we know is that we need it in a desperate way. And Father, you are our hope. You are our light in our darkness. In those dark nights of the soul, when all doesn't make sense, when we've lost so much, and we cry out to you, and many times we don't hear anything in response, Father. And yet we desire to believe and to have hope in you. Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our midst, inside each one of us, to bring us to where you want us to be, that your will might be done in our lives. Father, for those that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray they will make that step toward you. Father, for those that are hurting and suffering, I pray that you, you would be real and near, but we also would have opportunity to minister and, and to encourage and comfort as well in our pain and in our suffering. Father, we just pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.